CD6 She was vaguely aware that there were things you had to do to a dead person to turn them into a zombie, although it was a branch of magic she never wanted to investigate. Yet you needed more than just a lot of weird fish innards and foreign roots. The person had to want to come back. They had to have some terrible dream or desire or purpose that would enable them to overcome the grave itself. Saturday's eyes burned. She reached a decision. She held out her hand. Very pleased to meet you, Mr. Saturday, she said, and I'm sure I'd enjoy your lovely stew. It's called Gumbo, said Nanny. It's got ladies' fingers in it. I know well enough that ladies' fingers is a kind of plant, thank you very much, said Granny. I am not entirely ignorant. All right, but make sure you get a helping with snakes' heads in as well, said Nanny Og. They're the best part. What kind of plant is snakes' heads? Best if you just eat up, I reckon, said Nanny. They were sitting on the warped wood veranda around the back of Mrs. Goggle's shack, overlooking the swamp. Mossy beards hung from every branch. Unseen creatures buzzed in the greenery. And everywhere there were V-shaped ripples cutting gently through the water. I expect it's really nice here when the sun's out, said Nanny. Saturday trudged into the shack and returned with a makeshift fishing pole, which he baited and cast over the rail. Then he sort of switched off. No one has more patience than a zombie. Mrs. Goggle leaned back in her rocking chair and lit her pipe. This used to be a great old city, she said. What happened to it? said Nanny. Grebo was having a lot of trouble with Legba the cockerel. For one thing, the bird refused to be terrorised. Grebo could terrorise most things that moved upon the face of the Discworld, even creatures nominally much bigger and tougher than he was. Yet somehow none of his well-tried tactics, the yawn, the stare, and above all the slow grin, seemed to work. Legba merely looked down his beak at him and pretended to scratch at the ground in a way that brought his two-inch spurs into even greater prominence. That only left the flying leap. This worked on nearly every creature. Very few animals remained calm in the face of an enraged ball of whirring claws in the face. In the case of this bird, Grebo suspected, it might well result in his becoming a furry kebab. But this had to be resolved, otherwise generations of cats would laugh at him. Cat and bird circled through the swamp, each apparently paying the other no attention whatsoever. Things gibbered in the trees, small iridescent birds barreled out through the air. Grebo glared up at them. He would sort them out later. And the cockerel had vanished. Grebo's ears flattened against his head. There was still the bird song and the whine of insects, but they were elsewhere. Here there was silence, hot, dark and oppressive, and trees were somehow much closer together than he remembered. Grebo looked around. He was in a clearing. Around its sides, hanging from bushes or tied to trees, were things, bits of ribbon, white bones, tin pots, perfectly ordinary things anywhere else. And in the centre of the clearing, something like a scarecrow, an upright pole with a cross-piece on which someone had put an old black coat. Above the coat, on the tip of the pole, was a top hat. On top of the hat, watching him thoughtfully, was Legba. A breeze blew through the stifling air, causing the coat to flap gently. Grebo remembered a day when he'd chased a rat into the village windmill and had suddenly found that what had seemed merely a room with odd furniture in it was a great big machine which would, if he put a paw wrong, crush him utterly. The air sizzled gently. He could feel his fur standing on end. 
Grebo turned and stalked away haughtily, until he judged himself out of sight, whereupon his legs spun so fast that his paws skidded. Then he went and grinned at some alligators, but his heart wasn't in it. In the clearing the coat moved gently again, and then was still. Somehow that was worse. Legba watched. The air grew heavier, just as it does before a storm. This used to be a great old city, a happy place. No one tried to make it happy, it just happened all by itself, said Mrs. Gogol. That was when the old baron was alive, but he was murdered. Who done it, said Naniog. Everyone knows it was the duke, said Mrs. Gogol. The witches looked at one another. Royal intrigues were obviously a bit different in foreign parts. Pecked to death, was he? said Nanny. A foul deed, said Granny. The Duke is a title, not a bird, said Mrs. Gogol patiently. The Baron was poisoned, it was a terrible night, and in the morning the Duke was in the palace. Then there was the matter of the will. Don't tell me, said Granny. I bet there was a will leaving everything to this Duke. I bet the ink was still wet. How did you know that? said Mrs. Gogol. Stands to reason, said Granny loftily. The Baron had a young daughter, said Mrs. Gogol. She'd still be alive, I reckon, said Granny. You surely know a lot of things, lady, said Mrs. Gogol. Why do you think that, then? Well, said Granny. She was about to say, because I know how the stories work, but Nanny Og interrupted. If this Baron was as great as you say, he must have had a lot of friends in the city, right? She said. That is so. People liked him. Well, if I was a duke, with no more claim on things than a smudgy will and a little bottle of ink with the corks still out, I'd be looking for any chance to make things a bit more official, said Nanny. Marrying the real heir'd be favourite. He could thumb his nose at everyone, then. I bet she don't know who she really is, eh? That's right, said Mrs. Goggle. The Duke's got friends, too. Or keepers, maybe. Not people you'd want to cross. They've brought her up and they don't let her out much. The witches sat in silence for a while. Granny thought, No, that's not quite right. That's how it'd appear in the history book, but it's not the story. Then Granny said, Excuse me, Mrs. Coggle, but where do you come in all this? No offence, but I reckon that out here in the swamp it'd be all the same whoever was doing the ruling. For the first time since they'd met her, Mrs. Goggle looked momentarily uneasy. The Baron um, was a friend of mine, she said. Ah, said Granny, understandingly. He wasn't keen on zombies, mark you. He said he thought the dead should be allowed their rest, but he never insisted. Uh, whereas this new one... Not keen on the interesting arts, said Nanny. "'Oh, I reckon he is,' said Granny. "'He'd have to be. "'Not your magic, maybe, but I bet he's got a lot of magic around him.' "'Why do you say that, lady?' said Mrs. Goggle. "'Well,' said Nanny, "'I can see that you, being a lady of spirit, "'wouldn't put up with this if you didn't have to. "'There's lots of ways to sort matters out, I expect. "'I expect if you didn't like someone, "'their legs might unexpectedly drop off, "'or they might find mysterious snakes in the boots. "'Alligators under their bed!' suggested Nanny. Yes. He's got protection, said Mrs. Goggle. Ah, powerful magic. More powerful than you, said Granny. There was a long and difficult pause. Yes. Ah, for now, Mrs. Goggle added.
There was another pause. No witch ever liked admitting to less than near absolute power, or even hearing another witch doing so. "'You're biding your time, I expect,' said Granny kindly. "'Wifing your strength,' said Nanny. "'It's powerful protection,' said Mrs. Goggle. Granny sat back in her chair. When she spoke next, it was as a person who has certain ideas in their mind and wants to find out what someone else knows. "'What sort?' she said, exactly.' Mrs. Goggle reached into the cushions of her rocking chair, and after some rummaging produced a leather bag and a pipe. She lit the pipe and puffed a cloud of bluish smoke into the morning air. "'You look in mirrors a lot these days, Mistress Weatherwax,' she said. Granny's chair tipped backwards, almost throwing her off the veranda and into the inky waters. Her hat flew away into the lily pads. She had time to see it settle gently on the water. It floated for a moment and then was eaten.' A very large alligator snapped its jaws shut and gazed smugly at Granny. It was a relief to have something to shout about. My hat! It ate my hat! One of your alligators ate my hat! It was my hat! Make it give it back! She snatched a length of creeper off the nearest tree and flailed at the water. Nanny Og backed away. You shouldn't do that, Esme. You shouldn't do that, she quavered. The alligator backed water. "'I can hit cheeky lizards if I want.' "'Yes, you can, you can,' said Nanny soothingly, "'but not with, uh, not with a snake.' "'Granny held up the creeper for inspection. "'A medium-sized three-banded coit gave her a frightened look, "'considered biting her nose for a moment, "'thought the better of it, "'and then shut its mouth very tightly "'in the hope she'd get the message. "'She opened her hand. "'The snake dropped onto the boards and slithered away quickly.' Mrs. Goggle hadn't stirred in her chair. Now she half-turned. Saturday was still patiently watching his fishing line. "'Saturday, go and fetch the lady's hat,' she said. "'Yes, um.' Even Granny hesitated at that. "'You can't make him do that,' she said. "'But he's dead,' said Mrs. Goggle. "'Yes, but it's bad enough being dead without having to be in bits, too,' said Granny. "'Don't you go in there, Mr. Saturday.' "'But it was your hat, lady,' said Mrs. Goggle. "'Yes, but,' said Granny, uh, "'a hat was all it was. "'I wouldn't send anyone into any alligators for any hat.' "'Nanny Og looked horrified. "'No one knew better than Granny Weatherwax that hats were important. "'They weren't just clothing. "'Hats defined the head. "'They defined who you were. "'No one had ever heard of a wizard without a pointy hat. "'At least no wizard worth speaking of.' "'and you certainly never heard of a witch without one. "'Even Magrat had one, "'although she hardly ever wore it "'on account of being a wet hen. "'That didn't matter too much. "'It wasn't the wearing of the hats that counted "'so much as having one to wear. "'Every trade, every craft had its hat. "'That's why kings had hats. "'Take the crown off a king "'and all you had was someone good at having a weak chin "'and waving to people. "'Hats had power. "'Hats were important. "'But so were people.' Mrs. Goggle took another puff at her pipe. "'Saturday, go and get my best hat for holidays,' she said. "'Yes, Mrs. Goggle.' Saturday disappeared into the hut for a moment and came out with a large and battered box, securely wrapped with twine. "'I can't take that,' said Granny. "'I can't take your best hat.' "'Yes, you can,' said Mrs. Goggle. "'I've got another hat.' "'Oh, yes, I've got another hat, all right.' "'Granny put the box down carefully. 
"'It occurs to me, Mrs. Goggle,' she said, "'that you ain't everything you seem.' "'Oh, yes, I is, Mistress Weatherwax. "'I never been nothing else just like you.' "'You brought us here?' "'No, you brought yourselves here of your own free will. "'To help someone, ain't that right? "'You decided to do it, ain't that right? "'No one forced you, ain't that right? "'Except yourselves.' "'She's right about all that,' said Nanny. "'We'd have felt it if it was magic.' "'That's right,' said Granny. "'No one forced us except ourselves. "'What's your game, Mrs. Goggle?' "'I ain't playing no game, Mistress Weatherwax. "'I just want back what's mine. "'I want justice.' "'and I want her stopped.' "'Her who?' said Nanny Og. "'Granny's face had frozen into a mask. "'Her who's behind all this?' said Mrs. Goggle. "'The Duke hasn't got the brains of a prawn, Mrs. Og. "'I mean her. "'Her with her mirror magic. "'Her who likes to control. "'Her who's in charge. "'Her who's tinkering with destiny. "'Her that Mistress Weatherwax knows all about.' Nanny Ogg was lost. "'What's she talking about, Esme?' she said. Granny muttered something. "'What? Didn't hear you?' Nanny said. Granny Weatherwax looked up, her face red with anger. "'She means my sister, Gither. Right? Got that? Do you understand? Did you hear? My sister. Want me to repeat it again? Want to know who she's talking about?' Want me to write it down? My sister. That's who my sister. They're sisters, said Magrat. Her tea had gone cold. I don't know, said Ella. They look uh, alike. They keep themselves to themselves most of the time. But I can feel them watching. They're very good at watching. And they make you do all the work, she said. "'Well, I only have to cook for myself and the outside staff,' said Ella, "'and I don't mind cleaning and laundry all that much.' "'Do they do their own cooking, then?' "'I don't think so. "'They walk around the house at night after I've gone to bed. "'Godmother Lilith says I must be kind to them and pity them "'because they can't talk, "'and always see that we've got plenty of cheese in the larder.' "'They eat nothing but cheese,' said Magrat. "'I don't think so,' said Ella. "'I should think the rats and mice get it, then, in an old place like this.' "'You know, it's a funny thing,' said Ella, "'but I've never seen a mouse anywhere in this house.' Magrat shivered. She felt watched. "'Why don't you just walk away? I would.' "'Where to? Anyway, they always find me, "'or they send the coachman and grooms after me.' Oh, that's horrible. I'm sure they think that sooner or later I'll marry anyone to get away from laundry, said Ella. Not that the prince's clothes get washed, I expect, she added bitterly. I expect they get burned after he's worn them. What you want to do is make a career of your own, said Magrat, encouragingly to keep her spirits up. You want to be your own woman. You want to emancipate yourself. I don't think I want to do that said Ella, speaking with caution in case it was a sin to offend a fairy godmother. "'You do really?' said Magrat. "'Do I?' "'Yes. Oh. You don't have to marry anyone you don't want to.' Ella sat back. "'How good are you?' she said. "'Er, uh, well, I, I suppose I 
The dress arrived yesterday, said Ella. It's up in the big front room on a stand so it doesn't get creased, so that it stays perfect, and they've polished up the coach specially. They've hired extra footmen too. Yes, but perhaps... I think I'm going to have to marry someone I don't want to, said Ella. Granny Weatherwax strode up and down the driftwood balcony. The whole shack trembled to her stamping. Ripples spread out as it bounced on the water. Of course you don't remember her, she shouted. Our ma'am kicked her out when she was thirteen. We was both tiny then, but I remember the rows. I used to hear them when I was in bed. She was wanton. You always used to say I was wanton when we was younger, said Nanny. Granny hesitated, caught momentarily off balance. Then she waved a hand irritably. You was, of course, she said dismissively, but you never used magic for it, did you? Didn't have to, said Nanny happily. An off-the-shoulder dress did the trick most of the time. Right off the shoulder and onto the grass, as I recall, said Granny. No, she used magic. Not just ordinary magic, neither. Oh, she was willful. Nanny Og was about to say, What, you mean not compliant and self-effacing like what you is, Esme? But she stopped herself. You didn't juggle matches in a fireworks factory. Young men's fathers used to come round to complain, said Granny darkly. They never came round to complain about me, said Nanny happily. And always looking at herself in mirrors, said Granny. Prideful as a cat she was. Prefer to look in a mirror than out of a window she would. What's her name? Lily. That's a nice name, said Nanny. It isn't what she calls herself now, said Mrs. Goggle. I bet it isn't. And she's like in charge of the city, said Nanny. She was bossy too. What does she want to be in charge of a city for, said Nanny. She's got plans, said Mrs. Goggle. And vain, really vain, said Granny, apparently to the world in general. Did you know she was here, said Nanny. I had a feeling, mirrors. Mirror magic isn't bad, protested Nanny. I've done all kinds of stuff with mirrors. You can have a lot of fun with a mirror. She doesn't just use one mirror, said Mrs. Goggle. Oh, she uses two. Oh, that's different. Granny stared at the surface of the water. Her own face stared back at her from the darkness. She hoped it was her own face anyway. I've felt her watching us the whole way here, she said. That's where she's happiest, inside mirrors. Inside mirrors making people into stories. She prodded the image with a stick. She even got a look at me in Desiderata's house just before Magrat came in. It ain't nice seeing someone else in your reflection. She paused. Where is Magrat, anyway? Out fairy godmothering, I think, said Nanny. She said she didn't need any help. Magrat was annoyed. She was also frightened, which made her even more annoyed. It was hard for people when Magrat was annoyed. It was like being attacked by a damp tissue. You have my personal word on it. She said, you don't have to go to the ball if you don't want to. You won't be able to stop them, said Ella darkly. I know how things work in this city. Look, I said you won't have to go, said Magrat. She looked thoughtful. There isn't someone else you'd rather marry, is there? No, I don't know many people. I don't get much chance. Good, said Magrat. That makes it easier. 
I suggest we get you out of here and take you somewhere else. There isn't anywhere else, I told you. There's just swamp. I tried once or twice and they sent the coachman after me. They weren't unkind. The coachman, I mean. They're just afraid. Everyone's afraid. Even the sisters are afraid, I think. Magrat looked around at the shadows. What of? she said. They say that people disappear if they upset the Duke. Something happens to them. Everyone's very polite in Genua, said Ella sourly. And no one steals and no one raises their voice and everyone stays indoors at night, except when it's Fat Tuesday, she sighed. Now that's something I'd like to go to, to the carnival. They always make me stay in, though. But I hear it passing through the city and I think... That's what Genua ought to be. Not a few people dancing in palaces, but everyone dancing in the streets. Magrat shook herself. She felt a long way from home. I think perhaps I might need a bit of help with this one, she said. You've got a wand, said Ella. I think there's times when you need more than a wand, said Magrat. She stood up. But I'll tell you this, she said. I don't like this house. I don't like this city. Emberella, Yes? You won't go to the ball. I'll make sure of that. She turned around. I told you, murmured Ella, looking down. You can't even hear them. One of the sisters was at the top of the steps leading into the kitchen. Her gaze was fixed immovably on Magrat. They say that everyone has the attributes of some kind of animal. Magrat possibly had a direct mental link to some small furry creature. She felt the terror of all small rodents in the face of unblinking death. Modulated over the menace of the gaze were all sorts of messages. The uselessness of flight, the stupidity of resistance, the inevitability of oblivion. She knew she could do nothing. Her legs weren't under her control. It was as if commands were coming straight down that stair and into her spinal cord. The sense of helplessness was almost peaceful. Blessings be upon this house. The sister spun around much faster than any human should be able to move. Granny Weatherwax pushed open the door. Oh, dearie me, she thundered, and a lorks. Yeah, said Nanny Og, crowding through the doorway behind her. Lorks too. We're just a couple of old beggar women, said Granny, striding across the floor. Begging from house to house, said Nanny Og, not coming directly here by any manner or means. They each caught one of Magrat's elbows and lifted her off her feet. Granny turned her head. What about you, miss? Ella shook her head without looking up. No, she said, I mustn't come. Granny's eyes narrowed. I suppose not, she said. We all have our path to walk, or so it is said, although not by me. Come, Githa. We're just off, said Nanny Og brightly. They turned. Another sister appeared in the doorway. Ye gods, said Nanny Og. I never saw her move. We was just going out, said Granny Weatherwax loudly. If it's all the same with you, me lady... She met the stare head-on. The air tingled. Then Granny Weatherwax said between gritted teeth, When I say run, Githa. I hear you, said Nanny. Granny groped behind her and found the teapot Magrat had just used. She weighed it in her hands, keeping the movement slow and gentle. Ready, Githa? Where, Tin, Esme? Run. Granny hurled the teapot high into the air. The heads of both sisters snapped around. Nanny Og helped the stumbling Magrat out of the door. Granny slammed it shut as the nearest sister darted forward, mouth open, too late. We're leaving the girl in there, shouted Nanny as they ran down the drive. 
They're guarding her, said Granny. They're not going to harm her. I ain't seen teeth like those on anyone before, said Nanny. That's cause they ain't anyone. They're snakes. They reached the comparative security of the roadway and leaned against the wall. Snakes? Nanny wheezed. Magrat opened her eyes. It's Lily's doing, said Granny. She was good at that kind of thing, I remember. Really? Snakes? Yeah, said Granny darkly. She made friends easily. Blimey, I couldn't do that. She didn't used to be able to do it either for more than a few seconds. That's what using mirrors does for you. Uh, um, uh, Magrat stuttered. You're all right, said Nanny. She looked up at Esme Weatherwax. We shouldn't leave the girl, whatever you say. In a house with snakes walking around thinking they're human, she said. It's worse than that. They're walking around thinking they're snakes, said Granny. Well, whatever. You never do that sort of thing. The worst you ever did was to make people a bit confused about what they was. That's because I'm the good one, said Granny bitterly. Magrat shuddered. So, are we going to get her out, said Nanny. Not yet. There's going to be a proper time, said Granny. Can you hear me, Magrat Garlic? Yes, Granny, said Magrat. We've got to go somewhere and talk, said Granny, about stories. What about stories, said Magrat. Lily is using them, said Granny. Don't you see that? You can feel it in this whole country. The stories collect round here because here's where they find a way out. She feeds them. Look, she don't want your Ella to marry that duck man just because of politics or something. That's just an explanation. It's not a reason. She wants the girl to marry the prince because that's what the story demands. What's in it for her? said Nanny. In the middle of them all, the fairy godmother or the wicked witch... You remember? That's where Lily is putting herself, like... like... She paused, trying to find the right word. Remember that time last year when the circus thing came to Lancre? I remember, said Nanny. Them girls in the spangly tights, and the fellows pouring whitewash down the trousers. Never saw an elephant, though. They said there'd be elephants, and there weren't any. It had elephants on the posters. I spent a whole tuppence, and there wasn't a single elephant. Yes, but what I'm saying, said Granny, as they hurried along the street, is there was that man in the middle, you remember, with the moustache and the big hat? Him? But he didn't do anything much, said Nanny. He just stood in the middle of the tent and sometimes he cracked his whip and all the axe just went on round him. That's why he was the most important one there, said Granny. It was the things going on around him that made him important. "'What's Lily feeding the stories?' said Magrat. "'People,' said Granny. She frowned. "'Stories,' she said. "'Well, we'll have to see about that.' Green twilight covered Genua. The mists curled up from the swamp. Torches flared in the streets. In dozens of yards, shadowy figures moved, pulling the covers off floats. In the darkness, there was a flash of sequins and a jingle of bells. All year the people of Genua were nice and quiet, but history has always allowed the downtrodden one night somewhere in any calendar to restore temporarily the balance of the world. It might be called the Feast of Fools, or the King of the Bean, or even Samedi Nuit More, when even those with the most taxing and responsible of duties can kick back and have fun. Well, most of them, anyway. The coachmen and the footmen were sitting in their shed at one side of the stable yard, eating their dinner and complaining about having to work on dead night. 
They were also engaging in the time-honoured rituals that go therewith, which largely consist of finding out what their wives have packed for them today and envying the other men whose wives obviously cared more. The head footman raised a crust cautiously. I've got uh, chicken neck and pickle, he said. Anyone got cheese? The second coachman inspected his box. Oh, it's boiled bacon again, he complained. She always gives me boiled bacon. She knows I don't like it. She don't even cut the fat off. Is it thick white fat, said the first coachman. Yeah, horrible. Is this right for a holiday feast or what? I'll swap you a lettuce and tomato. Right. What you got, Jimmy? The underfootman shyly opened his perfect package. There were four sandwiches, crusts cut off. There was a sprig of parsley. There was even a napkin. Uh, 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 smoked salmon and, and cream cheese, he said. And still a bit of the wedding cake, said the first coachman. Ain't you at that all up yet? We, <laughs> we have it every night, said the underfootman. The shed shook with the ensuing laughter. It is a universal fact that any innocent comment made by any recently married young member of any workforce is an instant trigger for coarse merriment among his or her older and more cynical colleagues. This happens even if everyone concerned has nine legs and lives at the bottom of an ocean of ammonia on a huge cold planet. It's just one of those things. You make the most of it, said the second coachman gloomily when they'd settled down again. It starts off kisses and cake and then cutting the crusts off. And next thing you know, it's down to tongue-pie, cold bum and the copper stick. The way I see it, the first coachman began, it's all about the way you... There was a knocking at the door. The underfootman, being the junior member, got up and opened it. Uh, it, it it's an old crone, he said. Uh, uh, what do you want, old crone? Fancy a drink, said Nanny Og. She held up a jug over which hung a perceptible haze of evaporating alcohol and blew a paper squeaker. Uh, what? said the footman. Shame for you lads to be working. It's holiday. Whoopee! What's going on? the senior coachman began, and then he entered the cloud of alcohol. Gods, what is that stuff? Smells like rum, Mr. Travis. The senior coachman hesitated. From the streets came music and laughter as the first of the processions got underway. Fireworks popped across the sky. It wasn't a night to be without just a sip of alcohol. What a nice old lady, he said. Nanny Og waved the jug again. Up your eye, she said. Mud in your bottom. What might be called the classical witch comes in two basic varieties, the complicated and the simple. Or to put it another way, the ones that have a room full of regalia and the ones that don't. Magrat was by inclination one of the former sort. For example, take magical knives. She had a complete collection of magical knives, all with the appropriate coloured handles and complicated runes all over them. It had taken many years under the tutelage of Granny Weatherwax for Magrat to learn that the common kitchen bread knife was better than the most ornate of magic knives. It could do all that the magical knife could do, plus you could also use it to cut bread. Every established kitchen has one ancient knife, its handle worn thin, its blade curved like a banana, and so inexplicably sharp that reaching into the drawer at night is like bobbing for apples in a piranha tank. Magrat had hers stuck in her belt. 
Currently, she was thirty feet above the ground, one hand holding onto a broomstick, the other onto a drain pipe, both legs dangling. Housebreaking ought to be easy when you had a broomstick, but this did not appear to be the case. Finally, she got both legs around the pipe and a firm grip on a timely gargoyle. She waggled the knife in between the two halves of the window and lifted the latch. After a certain amount of grunting, she was inside, leaning against the wall and panting. Blue lights flashed in front of her eyes, echoing the fireworks that laced the night outside. Granny had kept on asking her if she was sure she wanted to do this, and she was amazed to find that she was sure, even if the snake women were already wandering around the house. Being a witch meant going into places you didn't want to go. She opened her eyes. There was the dress in the middle of the floor on a dressmaker's dummy. A Clatchian candle burst over Genua. Green and red stars exploded in the velvet darkness and lit up the gems and silks in front of Magrat. It was the most beautiful thing she'd ever seen. She crept forward, her mouth dry. Warm mists rolled through the swamp. Mrs. Gogol stirred the cauldron. "'What are they doing?' said Saturday. "'Stopping the story,' she said. "'Or maybe not.' She stood up. "'One way or another, it's our time now. Let's go to the clearing.' She looked at Saturday's face. "'Are you frightened?' "'I know what will happen afterwards,' said the zombie, "'even if we win.' "'We both do, but we've had twelve years.' "'Yes.' We've had twelve years. And Ella will rule the city. Yes. In the coachman's shed, Nanny Og and the coachman were getting along, as she put it, like a maison en flambe. The underfootman smiled vaguely at the wall and slumped forward. That's young people today, said the head coachman, trying to fish his wig out of his mug. Can't hold their gee. "'Stuff.' "'Have a hair of the dog, Mr. Travis,' said Nanny, filling the mug. "'Or scale of the alligator, or whatever you call it in these parts.' "'Reckon,' said the senior footman, "'we should be getting the coaches ready. "'Who would you say?' "'Reckon you've got time for one more yet,' said Nanny Og. "'Very generous,' said the coachman. "'They... Generous. Here's looking at you, Mrs. Mrs. Gore. Magrat had dreamed of dresses like this. In the pit of her soul, in the small hours of the night, she danced with princes. Not shy, hard-working princes like Verence back home, but real ones with crystal blue eyes and white teeth. And she'd worn dresses like this, and they had fitted. She stared at the ruched sleeves, the embroidered bodice, the fine white lace. It was all a world away from her, well, Nanny Og kept calling them magrats, but they were trousers, and very practical, as if being practical mattered at all. She stared for a long time, then, with tears streaking her face and changing colour as they caught the light of the fireworks, she took the knife and began to cut the dress into very small pieces. The senior coachman's head bounced gently off his sandwiches. Nanny Og stood up a little unsteadily. She placed the junior footman's wig under his slumbering head, because she was not an unkind woman. Then she stepped out into the night. A figure moved near the wall. Magrat, hissed Nanny. Nanny, did you see to the dress? Have you seen to the footman? Right then, said Granny Weatherwax, stepping out of the shadows. 
Then there's just the coach. She tiptoed theatrically to the coach house and opened the door. It grated loudly on the cobbles. Shh, said Nanny. There was a stub of candle and some matches on a ledge. Magrat fumbled the candle alight. The coach lit up like a glitter ball. It was excessively ornate, as if someone had taken a perfectly ordinary coach and then gone insane with fretwork and gold paint. Granny Weatherwax walked around it. A bit showy, she said. Seems a real shame to smash it up, said Nanny, sadly. She rolled up her sleeves and then, as an afterthought, tucked the hem of her skirt into her drawers. Bound to be a hammer around here somewhere, she said, turning to the benches along the walls. Don't, that'd make too much noise, hissed Magrat. Hang on a moment. She pulled the despised wand out of her belt, gripped it tightly and waved it towards the coach. There was a brief inrush of air. Blow me down, said Nanny Og. I never would have thought of that. On the floor was a large orange pumpkin. It was nothing, said Magrat, risking a touch of pride. Huh, that's one coach that'll never roll again, said Nanny. Hey, can you do that to horses too, said Granny. Magrat shook her head. Um, I think that would be very cruel. You're right, you're right, said Granny. No excuse for cruelty to dumb animals. The two stallions watched her with equine curiosity as she undid the loose box gates. Off you go, she said. Big green fields out there somewhere. She glanced momentarily at Magrat. You have been emhorsipated. This didn't seem to have much effect. Granny sighed. She climbed up onto the wooden wall that separated the boxes, reached up, grabbed a horse ear in either hand, and gently dragged their heads down level with her mouth. She whispered something. The stallions turned and looked at one another in the eye. Then they looked down at Granny. She grinned at them and nodded. Then, it is impossible for a horse to go instantly from a standing start to a gallop, but they almost managed it. What on earth did you say to them? said Magrat. Mystic horseman's word, said Granny. Passed down to Githers Jason, who passed it up to me. Works every time. He told you it? said Nanny. Yes. What, all of it? Yes, said Granny smugly. Magrat tucked the wand back into her belt. As she did so, a square of white material fell onto the floor. White gems and silk glimmered in the candlelight as she reached down hurriedly to pick it up, but there wasn't a lot that escaped Granny Weatherwax. She sighed. Magrat Garlic, she began. Yes, said Magrat meekly, yes, I know. I'm a wet hen. Nanny patted her gently on the shoulder. Never mind, she said, we've done a good night's work here. That Ella has about as much a chance of being sent to the ball tonight as I have of, um, of becoming queen. No dress, no footman, no horses, and no coach, said Granny. I'd like to see her get out of that one, eh? <laughs> Stories. <laughs> so what have we got to do now, said Magrat as they crept out of the yard. It's fat lunchtime, said Nanny. Hot diggity pig. Grebo wandered out of the darkness and rubbed against her legs. I thought Lily was trying to stamp it out, said Magrat. May as well try and stamp out a flood, said Nanny. Kick out a jam. I don't agree with dancing in the streets, said Granny. How much of that rum did you drink? Oh, come on, Esme, said Nanny. They say if you can't have a good time in Genua, you're probably dead. She thought about Saturday. You can probably have a bit of quiet fun even if you are dead in Genua. Hadn't we better stay here, though? said Magrat, just to make sure. Granny Weatherwax hesitated. 
"'What do you think, Esme?' said Nanny Og. "'You think she's going to be sent to the ball in a pumpkin, eh? "'Get a few mice to pull it, eh?' <laughs> "'A vision of the snake women floated across Granny Weatherwax's mind, and she hesitated. "'But after all, it had been a long day, and it was ridiculous when you came to think about it. "'Well, all right,' she said, "'but I'm not going to kick any jam, you understand.' "'There's dancing and all sorts,' said Nanny. "'And banana drinks, I expect,' said Magrat. "'It's a million to one chance, yes,' said Nanny Og happily. "'Lilith de Temskire smiled at herself in the double mirror. "'Oh, dearie me,' she said. "'No coach, no dress, no horses. "'What is a poor old godmother to do? "'Dearie me, and probably Lorks.' She opened a small leather case, such as a musician might use to carry his very best piccolo. There was a wand in there, the twin of the one carried by Magrat. She took it out and gave it a couple of twists, moving the gold and silver rings into a new position. The clicking sounded like the nastiest pump-action mechanism. "'And me with nothing but a pumpkin, too,' said Lilith. "'And, of course, the difference between sapient and non-sapient things "'was that while it was hard to change the shape of the former, it was not actually impossible.' It was just a matter of changing a mental channel. Whereas a non-sapient thing, like a pumpkin, and it was hard to imagine anything less sapient than a pumpkin, could not be changed by any magic short of sorcery. Unless its molecules remembered a time when they weren't a pumpkin. She laughed, and a billion reflected Liliths laughed with her, all around the curve of the mirror universe. Fat lunchtime was no longer celebrated in the centre of Genua, but in the shanty town around the high white buildings it strutted its dark and torchlit stuff. There were fireworks, there were dancers and fire-eaters and feathers and sequins. The witches, whose idea of homely entertainment was a Morris dance, watched open-mouthed from the crowded sidewalk as the parades strutted by. "'There's dancing skeletons,' said Nanny, as a score of bony figures whirred down the street. "'They're not,' said Magrat. "'They're just men in black tights with bones painted on.' Someone nudged Granny Weatherwax. She looked up into the large, grinning face of a black man. He passed her a stone jug. There you go, honey. Granny took it, hesitated for a moment, and then took a swig. She nudged Magrat and passed on the bottle. Gizir, she said. What? shouted Magrat above the noise of the marching band. The man wants us to pass it on, said Granny. Magrat looked at the bottleneck. She tried surreptitiously to wipe it on her dress, despite the self-evident fact that germs on it would have burned off long ago. She ventured a brief nip, and then nudged Nanny Og. she said, and dabbed at her eyes. Nanny upended the bottle. After a while, Magrat nudged her again. "'I think we're meant to pass it on,' she ventured. Nanny wiped her mouth, and passed the now rather lighter jug randomly to a tall figure on her left. "'Here you go, mister,' she said. "'Thank you. Nice costume you got there. Them bones are painted on really good.' Nanny turned back to watch a procession of juggling fire-eaters. Then a connection appeared to be made somewhere in the back of her mind. She looked up. The stranger had wandered off. She shrugged. "'What shall we do next?' she said. Granny Weatherwax was staring fixedly at a group of ground-zero limbo dancers. A lot of the dancers in the parades had this in common. They expressed explicitly what things like maypoles only hinted at. They covered it with sequins, too. 
You'll never feel safe in the privy again, eh? said Nanny Og. At her feet, Grebo sat primly watching some dancing women wearing nothing but feathers, trying to work out what to do about them. No, I was thinking of something else. I was thinking about how stories work. And now I think I'd like something to eat, said Granny weakly. She rallied a bit. And I mean some proper food, not something scraped off the bottom of a pond. And I don't want any of this cuisine stuff neither. You ought to be more adventurous, Granny, said Magrat. I ain't against adventure, in moderation, said Granny, but not when I'm eating. There's a place back there that does alligator sandwiches, said Nanny, turning away from the parade. Can you believe that? Alligators in a sandwich. That reminds me of a joke, said Granny Weatherwax. Something was nagging at her consciousness. Nanny Og started to cough, but it didn't work. "'This man went into an inn,' said Granny Weatherwax, trying to ignore the rising uneasiness, "'and he saw this sign, and it said, "'We serve all kinds of sandwiches,' and he said, "'Get me an alligator sandwich, and I want it right away.' "'I don't think alligator sandwiches is very kind to alligators,' said Magrat, "'dropping the observation into the leaden paws. "'I always say a laugh does you good,' said Nanny." Lilith smiled at the figure of Ella standing forlornly between the snake women. "'And such a raggedy dress, too,' she said, "'and the door to the room was locked. Tut, tut! However can it have happened?' Ella stared at her feet. Lilith smiled at the sisters. "'Well,' she said, "'we'll just have to do the best we can with what we've got. Hmm? "'Fetch me... fetch me two rats and two mice.' I know you can always find rats and mice, and bring in the big pumpkin. She laughed. Not the mad, shrill laughter of the bad fairy who's been defeated, but the rather pleasant laughter of someone who's just seen the joke. She looked reflectively at the wand. But first, she said, transferring her gaze to Ella's pale face, you'd better bring in those naughty men who let themselves get so drunk. That's not respectful. And if you haven't got respect, you haven't got anything. The clicking of the wand was the only sound in the kitchen. Nanny Og poked at the tall drink in front of her. "'Beats me why they puts an umbrella in it,' she said, sucking the cocktail cherry off the stick. "'I mean, do they want to stop it getting wet or something?' She grinned at Magrat and Granny, who were both staring gloomily at the passing celebrations. "'Cheer up,' she said. "'Never seen such a pair of long faces in all me puff.' "'That's neat rum you're drinking,' said Magrat. "'You're telling me,' said Nanny, taking a swig. "'Cheers!' "'It was too easy,' said Granny Weatherwax. "'It was only easy cos we done it,' said Nanny. "'You want something done, we're the girls to do it, eh? "'You show me anyone else who could have nipped in there "'and done all that in the nick of time, eh? "'Especially the coach bit.' "'It doesn't make a good story,' said Granny. "'Oh, Bugger stories, said Nanny loftily. You can always change a story. Only at the right places, said Granny. Anyway, maybe they could get her a new dress and horses and a coach and everything. Where? When? said Nanny. It's a holiday, and there's no time anyway. They'll be starting the ball at any moment. Granny Weatherwax's fingers drummed on the edge of the cafe table. Nanny sighed. Now what? she said. "'It doesn't happen like this,' said Granny. 
Listen, Esme, the only kind of magic that'd work right now is wand magic, and Magrat's got the wand. Nanny nodded at Magrat. Ain't that so, Magrat? Um, said Magrat. Not lost it, have you? No, but there you are, then. Only, um, Ella said she'd got two godmothers. Granny Weatherwax's hand thumped down on the table. Nanny's drink flew into the air and overturned. That's right, roared Granny. That was nearly full. That was nearly a full drink, said Nanny reproachfully. Come on! Best part of a whole glass of... Githa! Did I say I wasn't coming? I was just pointing... Now! Can I just ask the man to get me another... Githa! The witches were halfway up the street when a coach rattled out of the driveway and trundled away. That can't be it, said Magrat. We got rid of it. We ought to have chopped it up, said Nanny. There's good eating on a pumpkin. They've got us, said Granny, slowing down to a stop. Can't you get into the minds of the horses, said Magrat. The witches concentrated. They ain't horses, said Nanny. They feel like... Rats turned into horses, said Granny, who was even better at getting into people's minds than she was at getting under their skins. They feel like that poor old wolf. Mine's like a firework display. She winced at the taste of them in her own head. I bet, said Granny thoughtfully as the coach skidded around the corner, I bet I could make the wheels fall right off. That's not the way, said Magrat. Anyway, Ella's in there. There may be another way, said Nanny. I know someone who could get inside their minds right enough. Who, said Magrat. Well, we've still got our brooms, said Nanny. It should be easy to overtake it, right? The witches landed in an alleyway a few minutes ahead of the coach. I don't hold with this, said Granny. It's the sort of thing Lily does. You can't expect me to like this. Think of that wolf. Nanny lifted Grebo out of his nest among the bristles. But Grebo's nearly human anyway, she said. Heh! And it'll only be temporary, even with the three of us doing it, she said. Anyway, it'll be interesting to see if it works. Yes, but it's wrong, said Granny. Not for these parts, it seems, said Nanny. Besides, said Magrat virtuously, it can't be bad if we're doing it. We're the good ones. Oh, yes, so he is, said Granny. And there was me forgetting it for a minute there. Nanny stood back. Grebo, aware that something was expected of him, sat up. You must admit we can't think of anything better, Granny, said Magrat. Granny hesitated. But under all the revulsion was the little treacherous flame of fascination with the idea. Besides, she and Grebo had hated one another cordially for years. Almost human, eh? Give him a taste of it then and see how he likes it. She felt a bit ashamed of the thought, but not much. Oh, all right. They concentrated. As Lily knew, changing the shape of an object is one of the hardest magics there is. But it's easier if the object is alive. After all, a living thing already knows what shape it is. All you have to do is change its mind. Grebo yawned and stretched. To his amazement, he went on stretching. Through the pathways of his feline brain surged a tide of belief. He suddenly believed he was human. He wasn't simply under the impression that he was human, he believed it, implicitly. 
The sheer force of the unshakable belief flowed out into his morphic field, overriding its objections, rewriting the very blueprint of his self. Fresh instructions surged back. If he was human, he didn't need all this fur, and he ought to be bigger. The witches watched, fascinated. I never thought we'd do it, said Granny. No points on the ears. The whiskers were too long. He needed more muscle. All these bones were the wrong shape. These legs ought to be longer. And then it was finished. Grebo unfolded himself and stood up, a little unsteadily. Nanny stared, her mouth open. Then her eyes moved downwards. Cure, she said. I think, said Granny Weatherwax, that we'd better imagine some clothes on him right now. That was easy enough. When Grebo had been clothed to her satisfaction, Granny nodded and stood back. Magrat, you can open your eyes, she said. I hadn't got them closed. Well, you should have had. Grebo turned slowly, a faint, lazy smile on his scarred face. As a human, his nose was broken and a black patch covered his bad eye. But the other one glittered like the sins of angels, and his smile was the downfall of saints. Female ones, anyway. Perhaps it was pheromones, or the way his muscles rippled under his black leather shirt. Grebo broadcast a kind of greasy, diabolic sexuality in the megawatt range. Just looking at him was enough to set dark wings fluttering in the crimson night. Er, uh, Grebo, said Nanny. He opened his mouth. Incisors glittered. Wow, he said. Can you understand me? Yes, Nanny. Nanny Og leaned against the wall for support. There was the sound of hooves. The coach had turned into the street. Get out there and stop that coach. Grebo grinned again and darted out of the alley. Nanny fanned herself with her hat. Whoo-wee, she said, and to think I used to tickle his tummy. No wonder all the lady cats scream at night. Githa, well, you've gone very red, Esme. I'm just out of breath, said Granny. Funny that. It's not as if you've been running. The coach rattled down the street. The coachman and footman were not at all sure what they were. Their minds oscillated wildly. One moment they were men thinking about cheese and bacon rinds, and the next they were mice, wondering why they had trousers on. As for the horses... Horses are a little insane anyway, and being a rat as well wasn't any help. So none of them were in a very stable frame of mind when Grebo stepped out of the shadows and grinned at them. He said, Rawr. The horses tried to stop, which is practically impossible with a coach still piling along behind you. The coachman froze in terror. Rawr. The coach skidded around and came up broadside against a wall, knocking the coachman off. Grebo picked one of them up by his collar and bounced him up and down while the maddened horses fought to get out of the shafts. Run away, furry toy, he suggested. Behind the frightened eyes, man and mouse fought for supremacy, but they needn't have bothered. They would lose either way. As consciousness flickered between the states, it saw either a grinning cat or a six-foot, well-muscled, one-eyed, grinning bully. The coach mouse fainted. Grebo patted him a few times in case he was going to move. Wake up, little mousy, and then lost interest. The coach door rattled, jammed, and then opened. What's happening? said Ella. 
Naniog's boot hit Grebo on the back of his head. Oh, no, you don't, my lad, she said. Want to, said Grebo sulkily. You always do, that's your trouble, said Nanny, and smiled at Ella. Out you come, dear. Grebo shrugged and then slunk off, dragging the stunned coachman after him. What's happening? complained Ella. Oh, Magrat, did you do this? Magrat allowed herself a moment's shy pride. I said you wouldn't have to go to the ball, didn't I? Ella looked around at the disabled coach and then back to the witches. You ain't got any snake women in there with you, have you? said Granny. Magrat gripped the wand. They went on ahead, said Ella, her face clouded as she recalled something. Lilith turned the real coachman into beetles, she whispered. I mean, they weren't that bad. She made them get some mice, and she made them human, and then she said, there's got to be balance, and the sisters dragged in the coachman, and she turned them into beetles, and then she trod on them. She stopped, horrified. A firework burst in the sky, but in the street below, a bubble of terrible silence hung in the air. Witches don't kill people, said Magrat. This is foreign parts, muttered Nanny, looking away. I think, said Granny Weatherwax, that you ought to get right away from here, young lady. They just went crack. We've got the brooms, said Magrat. We could all get away. She'd send something after you, said Ella darkly. I know her. Something from out of a mirror. So we'd fight it, said Magrat. No, said Granny. Whatever's going to happen's going to happen here. We'll send the young lady off somewhere safe and then... We shall see. But if I go away, she'll know, said Ella. She's expecting to see me at the ball right now, and she'll come looking. That sounds right, Esme, said Nanny Og. You want to face her somewhere you choose. I don't want her looking for us on a night like this. I want to see her coming. There was a fluttering in the darkness above them. A small dark shape glided down and landed on the cobbles. Even in the darkness its eyes gleamed. It stared expectantly at the witches with far too much intelligence for a mere fowl. "'That's Mrs Goggle's cockerel,' said Nanny. "'Ain't it?' "'Exactly what it is I might never exactly decide,' said Granny. "'I wish I knew where she stood.' "'Good or bad, you mean?' said Magrat. "'She's a good cook,' said Nanny. "'I don't think anyone can cook like she do and be that bad.' "'Is she the woman who lives out in the swamp?' said Ella. I've heard all kinds of stories about her. She's a bit too ready to turn dead people into zombies, said Granny, and that's not right. Well, we just turned a cat into a person. I mean, a human person. Nanny, inveterate cat lover, corrected herself. And that's not strictly right either. It's probably a long way from strictly right. Yes, but we did it for the right reasons, said Granny. We don't know what Mrs. Goggle's reasons are. There was a growl from the alleyway. Nanny scuttled towards it, and they heard her scolding voice. No, put him down this minute. Mine, mine. Legba strutted a little way along the street and then turned and looked expectantly at them. Granny scratched her chin and walked a little way away from Magrat and Ella, sizing them up. Then she turned and looked around. Hmm, she said. Lily is expecting to see you, ain't she? She can look out of reflections, said Ella nervously. Mm. 
said Granny again. She stuck her finger in her ear and twiddled it for a moment. Well, Magrat, you're the godmother around here. What's the most important thing we have to do? Magrat had never played a card game in her life. Keep Ella safe, she said promptly, amazed at Granny suddenly admitting that she was, after all, the one who had been given the wand. That's what fairy godmothering is all about. Yes? Granny Weatherwax frowned. You know, she said, you two are just about the same size. Magrat's expression of puzzlement lasted for a half a second before it was replaced by one of sudden horror. She backed away. Someone's got to do it, said Granny. Oh, no. No, it wouldn't work. It really wouldn't work. No. Magrat Garlic, said Granny Weatherwax triumphantly, you shall go to the ball. The coach cornered on two wheels. Grebo stood on the coachman's box, swaying and grinning madly and cracking the whip. This was even better than his fluffy ball with a bell in it. Inside the coach, Magrat was wedged between the two older witches, her head in her hands. But Ella might get lost in the swamp. Not with that cockerel leading the way. She'll be safer in Mrs Goggle's swamp than at the ball, I know all that, said Nanny. Thank you. You're welcome, said Granny. Everyone'll know I'm not her. Not with the mask on, they won't, said Granny. But my hair's the wrong colour. I can tint that up a treat, no problem, said Nanny. I'm the wrong shape. We can... Granny hesitated. Can you, you know, puff yourself out a bit more? No. Have you got a spare handkerchief, Githa? I reckon I could tear a bit off my petticoat, Esme. Ouch! There. And these glass shoes don't fit. They fit me fine, said Nanny. I gave them a try. Yes, but I've got smaller feet than you. That's all right, said Granny. You put on a couple of pairs of my socks and they'll fit real snug. Bereft of all further excuses, Magrat struck out in sheer desperation. But I don't know how to behave at balls. Granny Weatherwax had to admit that she didn't either. She raised her eyebrows at Nanny. You used to go dancing when you were young, she said. Well, said Nanny Og, social tutor, what you do is you tap men with your fan. Got your fan? And say things like, La, sir. It helps to giggle, too. And uh, flutter your eyelashes a bit. And pout. How am I supposed to pout? Nanny Og demonstrated. Oh, yuck. Don't worry, said Granny. We'll be there, too. And that's supposed to make me feel better, is it? Nanny reached behind Magrat and grabbed Granny's shoulder. Her lips formed the words, Won't work, she's all to pieces, no confidence. Granny nodded. End of CD 6